Hello and uh, welcome to T4C Truth for the Church. Uh, my name is David Porter and I'm really excited to have you guys uh, with me today listening in. I believe today's topic is going to be a really fun one um, and I'm excited for us to dive into the Word of God and to take a deeper look at it. All right, so uh, today's topic is about how do we define and discern music that honors God? Uh, how do we define and discern music that honors God. Um, so let me go ahead and say this is a hot button issue, all right? Um, especially within the last, you know, 50 to 100 years, uh, especially in American culture. I mean, we have had entire denominations uh, form primarily out of a preference of worship, which, mind you, is not biblical, but that just tells you about the strength of music, um, how how deeply uh, steeped people are in their musical choices and or preferences. Uh, so let me go ahead and say, you know, I know all too well what it's like to have bias. Um, I mean, I grew up listening to Candy Duffler, to Sade, to Anita Baker, Earth, Wind and Fire. You know, that was my background, you know, and I mean, Sade is like my all time favorite secular artist. Just just she just is. And uh, I can definitely make a, a, a strong argument for that. But that's not the purpose of the podcast. But my point is, when it comes to the scripture, right, I have to be willing to put my bias at the door and leave it there and recognize, OK, this is what the word of God is saying. It's challenging me here. I might not like it, but that's what the word of God says. And so I got to leave that there. All right. So the one of the problems that that happens is people aren't really willing to talk about this, uh, about music, about musical choices and preferences. And I'm the first to admit there's plenty of gray area, uh, because people like what they like. Right. Um, but there's certain arguments that just aren't biblical that people use to justify certain music. And, and we're going to talk about that, but, but one of the biggest issues, and I'll go ahead and say it is, you know, we make music more subjective than it needs to be. And so what I mean by that is the the phrase I feel or I think um, what we do is we kind of can take away from the authority of God's word. Don't get me wrong. God, God doesn't necessarily color everything when it comes to music, but it doesn't mean that he doesn't set any boundaries or guidelines. Right. That's what the word of God speaks to this. It speaks to it succinctly. It speaks to it clearly. And uh, that's the purpose of this episode today is to go into the word of God and see what does he say about music that that honors him? What does he say? How do we define it? Right. How do how do we how do we judge it? What What's the rubric that I can use so that when I'm filtering this through the culture? Right. I mean, I mean, you have everything from organs and electric guitars and and, uh, you know, uh, just just all kinds of things. You have uh, EPs and sound systems and you have all these different types of ways to produce music and sound now. And so my purpose isn't really to talk about the sound uh, of things, although that might be one of the things we get to on the back end. But the purpose really is to as to let's get into the word and uh, let's see if we can define this. So let me start by saying this. Um, Satan. Uh, Satan wants to pervert and corrupt our minds and our hearts. He wants to use any medium he can to do that. So when when you start talking about music and Satan, people start looking at you sideways, especially church folks. Sadly, church folks do that. Um, but it's actually we actually are the, are the ones who should be understanding this better than anybody. But Part of the problem is that we are so comfortable with our choices and our preferences that we neglect to to actually study what the word of God has to say. So what we need to understand is that Satan is out to use any medium he can to uh, the Bible says that we're not to give the devil any kind of foothold to make no provision for the flesh. Um, but Satan is trying to pervert and corrupt our minds and our hearts. All right. Uh, first Peter, chapter five, verse number eight. This is what uh, Peter says. He says, be sober, be vigilant. 
because your adversary, that's important. Who is our adversary? The devil. And he says that your adversary, the devil, uh, as a roaring lion walks about seeking whom he may devour. Satan is out to devour. He, the Bible says in John 10, uh, that he, the thief comes not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's his purpose. And that's what he's going to try to do. And we need to understand that that's, that's his MO and he's going to use anything. He's going to take things that are holy and try to make them profane. He's going to try to use whatever he can to corrupt the minds of those who are saved and uh, continue to blind uh, the minds of those who have not yet come to the saving knowledge of Christ. And so we need to be on our guard. The sad thing is for too many, they are too lax when it comes to music and they don't really have a rubric at all. They just kind of have a general, well, you know, if it talks about God, that's cool. And that's pretty much as far as they go. All right. So we're going to go a little bit further than that today. Um, the first thing I'll say about this, uh, not only is Satan, uh, not only is it his desire to corrupt us, um, but he wants to use music as a means to it. So that needs to be an understanding. He, no, he wants to infiltrate God's church through music. He wants to pervert us. It's not just through music, but music is one of those means. So we need to be on our guard with that. All right. Now, the next thing that I want to mention is um, Satan's name. Satan's name is Lucifer, light bearer. Um, it's found only in one place in the Bible. It's found in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. Uh, this is a side note, but depending on what Bible version you have, your Bible may or may not say his name. And my suggestion to you is if it doesn't, get a Bible that does. Um, the Bible versions that continue to come out continue to grow more and more, in my mind, lukewarm um, in their translations and how they uh, word certain things. They, they leave out more and more. And uh, Christians are more are, are less and less equipped because of that. So just be on guard for that with your Bible versions. Um, but Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, uh, both are in a bit of a waltz. They're describing uh, a King Tyrus, the Prince of Tyrus, and uh, they're describing the judgment that comes on him. But they're using it as a metaphor to talk about Lucifer and what happened. So Lucifer was, of course, an angel in heaven. Uh, but I want you to know that Lucifer is fully aware of how to use music to manipulate. So let me back that up with the scripture. All right. So the first point is in Ezekiel chapter 28. If we go to verse number 13, we will see this. It says, thou has been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. The sardius, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle and the gold. And then it says this, it says the workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. So clearly it's it's talking about these musical instruments. So Satan, Lucifer uh, in heaven was created with musical instruments. Um, now, there have been I've read I've read a bunch of commentaries and it surprises it surprises me the amount of commentaries or the amount of people and scholars that would actually disagree with that statement. But that doesn't really make any sense, because if you go to the book of Job, uh, Job, chapter 38, Job is having a conversation or rather God is having a conversation with Job um, and he's scolding Job because Job has uh, kind of had some pride thinking he can challenge God. And God says, were you there, you know, when I formed this and when I did that? And he goes on for about two chapters with that. And in verse number seven, God says this. He says, were you there when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? All right. So that phrase there, you know, sons of God is commonly known as angels. And morning stars is also used there as angels. So he's clearly talking about angels worshiping, praising God. There's a choir. They're in unison singing. Uh, you know, so the idea that heaven is not full of music and that the angels are not created to worship God and they would not have musical instruments or they would not be equipped to sing. Clearly, the scripture shows that that's not true. 
Um, so sometimes I think we get too smart for our own good and we just we got to remember that. So I, I hope that scripture helps clarify some things. Lucifer is well versed in music. He told I mean, he understands what it's going to be like in heaven because he was there. He was kicked out of heaven because of his pride. And music is a way just like any other way that he will try to use to usurp uh, the people of God. He will try to corrupt our hearts and our minds. And, you know, so how do we discern music? Right. How do we define music that honors God? Well, first thing we need to understand uh, is that the music needs to talk about God. The focus of the music needs to be about God. It doesn't need to be about us. Um, Too much of the music today has a great message um, that's for us and it's not actually for God. All right. So let's let's go to the scripture and let, let me back that up. OK, so the first point uh, about this I want to go to is in the book of Colossians. It's Colossians chapter three, verse number 16. And it says this, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Okay, so the admonishment here is for the word of God to be doing work on the inside of us. And so what this means is that what I am singing comes from what I know of the word. What I have experienced of the word of God translates to what I sing. So in other words, what I am singing about is what I know about God. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You hear that? Richly. Let it let, you know, I think about uh, this. This might be a little weird for some of y'all, but I'm from the South. I think about my grandma's biscuits and gravy, or I think about some 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 collard greens and cornbread. And it's just got the pot pot look there and it's just soaking the soaking the cornbread. It's it's just soaked. Right. This, that that's the image that I get when I hear let the word of God dwell in you richly. Right. Let it let it let it marinate. Let it soak. And so the fruit of that word, the word of God permeating on the inside of us is and then it goes on. It says teaching and admonishing one another. So music is a form of edification to the body of Christ. You teach and you admonish and encourage one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs. And then it adds this caveat too: singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And so what, what's interesting about this is, remember, we're talking about how do I discern music that honors God? How do I define music that honors God? Here is a great scripture that we can use as a rubric, Right. How do how do, and and I love to I love to think about it this way. What does this music say about Christ? Right? If it's going to honor God, if it's going to honor Christ, what's the music say about him? And sadly, a lot of the music doesn't really have too much to say. And one of uh Satan's tactics that I've seen in the music of today is he will use what Jesus did as a way to boost us up. So in other words, the cross is to, it's prosperity gospel, really, in music. The cross is to bless us. The cross is to help us. The cross is because we are worthy. The cross is for us to have good things in life. And that's not what the gospel message is at all. So remember, a great way, here's here's something to add to your rubric. How do I know music that honors God? When you're listening to it, let's not focus on the emotional. It's not that emotions are bad, but before you can get emotional, we need to make, we need to be, remember what Paul, what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5, be sober, self-control, right? Be vigilant, be on your guard. And too often uh, people walk into churches and they're not on their guard. I know it's a sad thing that you have to say that to even say walk on a church and be on your guard. But you do because there are false prophets all around us. Uh, Jesus has said that the other apostles have said that there are people that are trying to deceive us in the name of Christ, but they're not actually representing the true Christ. Right. So how do we know? Well, first of all, let me say this. If you don't know the word of God, you won't be able to discern what's the word of God. 
So if your uh, reading and studying of the word is not consistent, then you're not going to be able uh, to properly discern and define music that honors God. Part of the problem that I hear is this people using the phrase in first John that says, try the spirit by the spirit. It's to see whether those spirits be of God. Well, that's not always used in the right context, but rather than to deviate from that point, that's fine and well. And, and there certainly are places for that. But let me tell you something. You shouldn't have to try the spirit by the spirit if you know the word. And what I mean by that is if you if you know the word of God, you should be able to recognize when something is not biblical, which means Satan doesn't even really have to work that hard to deceive some people because they don't know that much Bible. Uh, let me go to another scripture so I can back this point up. Uh, let's take a look at Matthew chapter four. Um, Matthew chapter four is an, a, a very important scripture, I believe, when it comes to this. This is Jesus when he's you know, getting tempted in the wilderness. He fasts 40 days and 40 nights. Satan comes, tempts him the first time. And he says, you know, if thou be the son of God, command these stones to be made bread. And Jesus responds with the word. And he, he, the Bible says he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. All right. Verse five says, then the devil takes him up into the holy city, sets him on the pinnacle of the temple and says unto him, if you be the son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee and in their hands they shall bear thee up lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against the stone. So now here, here's the interesting part. The interesting part about this is Satan didn't come with the word the first time. The first time he tempted, he did not try that hard. All right. He tried. He tried it because he was, Jesus was hungry. But the second time he comes and he's quoting the word of God, but he's quoting it out of context. So what's my point? My point is Jesus knew that he was quoting the scriptures out of its context and actual meaning. And so Jesus responds and says, it is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So what's my point here? My point here is the multiple times that the devil approached Christ and tried to deceive him, tried to tempt him. The first time was without scripture. Uh, the second time he used scripture, but it was out of context in music. For some people, because they do not study, they do not know the word of God, they are not able to discern truth. And so they're deceived off the jump. They're deceived off the jump. For other people, they are they do know scripture, but they don't they still don't know enough to be able to discern when it's being taken out of context. So there's some worship songs, some gospel songs that do incorporate scripture, but they're twisted. They're twisted. Uh, let me give you an example of a popular song. I believe it's called Let Me Be Spiritual by um, Donald Lawrence. And the, the first phrase in there, it says, you're not a natural being having a spiritual experience, but you are a spiritual being having a natural experience. And then it goes on the songs talking about uh, you know, let me be spiritual. Well, first, that's just not biblically true. We are not, we're not a spirit trapped in a body. We are a unique composition of all three components of body, soul, and spirit. And let me go ahead and dispel that really quickly. Uh, if all we were was a spirit being that was trapped in a body, then it makes no sense for us to have a resurrection and to have a new body. Well, what do we need a body for? Because we're just spirits, right? We're spirits, you know, trapped in a body here on earth. So when we go to glory, what's the point in the resurrection? That's just not good doctrine. It's not good teaching. But many people sing that in their churches. It's all over the radio. And it's just wrong. But if we are not studied enough in the word of God, if we're not being sober, if we're not being diligent, I mean, uh, diligent, no, excuse me, vigilant. I was right the first time. We're not being vigilant. We're not being on our guard. Then we're not going to catch these things. And we need to understand. Remember what I said earlier. Let the word of Christ dwell in you, right? Dwell in you richly, right? And and then it says, you know, you're going to teach people. You're going to admonish and encourage people. 
with these songs. So songs are teachers. So in other words, I can use a song to instruct someone about the things of God, about the ways of God, about the knowledge of God and the understanding of God. It's so important for us to know the word of God. If we do not know the word of God, then we're not going to be able to discern music that accurately portrays God and honors God. <clears throat> All right, so let me let me let me uh give you another example. So I don't really listen to well, I live in the country anyway, which is kind of a blessing because I get to hear the old school country uh you know net radio networks. Um when you live in the big city, like when I was in Atlanta, it was I just heard the the trendy stuff all the time. All right. So let me I, I went I went online and I looked up the number one uh, gospel song on the radio right now. And it's You Will Win by Jacqueline Carr. OK, and I'm just going to read the lyrics of this song. All right. The enemy came up against your home. The enemy came up against your children. The enemy came up against your name. The enemy came up against your character. Now, let, let, remember what we spoke about before. <clears throat> let me go back to Colossians chapter three, verse 16. It says that the word of Christ, the word of Christ dwelling you richly. And remember that word is supposed to allow us to teach other people, admonish other people, right? Sing with grace in our hearts unto the Lord. And remember when we're listening to a song, the question should be asked, what's this song say about Christ, right? What is the song talking about? Christ? Is it talking about God or is it using uh, or is it talking about us? Is it putting God in his rightful place or is it using God or Christ and what he did on the cross as a means for us to have better? OK, let me keep going. Uh, despite what it looks like, you will win when um, verse two. The enemy came up against your health. The enemy came up against your finance. The enemy came up against your vision. The enemy came up against your business. And then, you know, you will win, 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 win. <clears throat> I know you're hurt. I know you're torn. I know you're broken, but you will win. All of those may be facts, but the truth still remains. Okay, what's the truth that still remains? That in the name of Jesus, you will win. And then it goes on to, it's my winning season. And not only does it stop there, everything attached to me wins. And that's the whole song. That That's the number one song on the gospel radio. Now, look, I'm not speaking anything about Ja'Kalen Carr's character. I don't know her from a can of paint. What I'm trying to do here is just use this as an example. Okay. And there are a myriad of other different songs that we can use as well. Once again, what did that song say about God? Not how can I make an argument from what it was saying to say, well, it could mean this and that, or you know what I mean? It could be twisted to this kind. No, 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 no. What's it say? What's it say about God in that song? If I was a non-believer and I walked up into the church and I heard that song, what would I know about Jesus after I got done with that song? You, you, do you, does, I hope that point comes clear. What would I know about God that that I'm, I'm an unbeliever now or I'm unchurched? Right. I just don't go to church. You know, my mom and grandma and them, but I don't. What does that say about Christ? The only thing that it says about Christ is that if I use his name, I'll win. And I guess I'll win in all the categories that the enemy came up against me. Right. My health, my business, my finances. And not only that, if I use the name of Jesus, everything attached to me will win. Well, is that a gospel centered message? Is that what is that what the fruit of the word of Christ dwelling richly in us will look like? No. No, I'm bold enough to say it. No, it, it's not. Now, people will call judge, you know, don't cast judgment. No, 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 no. John 8 says we're supposed to judge righteously. And I'm not judging by my standards of preference. I'm judging according to the word of God. And that's what we all should do. The sad part is that we oftentimes are not well versed enough and we don't study enough so that we can discern these things. OK, so the Bible makes it really clear. Now, let me let me let me take it a step further. Did you know? that the Bible actually has songs in it. 
Uh, a lot of people don't know that, but the Bible actually has songs in it. I'm going to go to Exodus chapter 15. We're going to look at the first song recorded in the scriptures. All right. So many verses and passages are there. There there's so many in the book of Psalms uh, that are songs. Uh, so they're there. You know, it's kind of written in poetry form. There are a few others and they could be songs, but they could be uh they could be poetry as well. They kind of, you know, there's debate about some of these, but most of the, you know, there's so many of them uh, in the scripture that are songs. So let's go to the first song. Now, there, there's a there's a, a a hermeneutic, which is just a fancy word for the the practice of how we look at scripture, um, and and this hermeneutic is called uh, you know first mention, which means whenever the first whenever it's the first time something arrives in the scriptures. That meaning and that understanding of that thing, the connotation that that thing brings, it stays consistent throughout the rest of Scripture. Okay, so that's why the book of Genesis is so important. Think about marriage, right? Marriage, one man, one woman. That happens in Genesis chapter two, right before sin enters into the garden. What happens? Does that change? No, it stays consistent throughout the entirety of scripture from Genesis all the way to Revelation. So when you're reading the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, when you come on something, uh, that's one of those hermeneutics that that thing, the first time it happens, defines uh, and gives the context of how it's going to happen for the rest of the time. Same way Sodom and Gomorrah in the book of Genesis is used as uh, a portrait of judgment. Okay. For, for the rest, for the rest of the new Testament. All right. Uh, so let's get into it. Exodus chapter 15. This is right after um, this is right after, you know, the children of Israel have experienced God uh, through Moses opening up the Red Sea and they walk for it on dry land, you know, and they are they're extremely, they're extremely excited. Right. You can imagine they they just witnessed, you know, one of the greatest miracles that we've ever heard of. Right. So they walk on dry land, and then once they get through, Pharaoh comes after them, all of his army, and God closes the sea, and they all drown. All right, verse 15. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel. All right, that's important because what you'll find more often than not, well, you'll find it different in Psalms, but more often than not, uh, the majority of songs are meant for uh, a congregation to be sung. All right. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord and spake, saying, now, remember, before I say this, remember, what's our rubric? Our rubric is what does this say about Christ? What does this say about God? All right. So let's read and find out. Um, they sang this song unto the Lord, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he hath thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he is become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him an habitation. My father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Now that's, come on, can we can we see the difference? Now think about the you will win, you will win. The enemy came up against your home versus what I just read. Now that's a song that's recorded. All right, here's here's another example um, of a popular gospel song that is biblically sound. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. Who's the focus? Do, do you see what I'm saying here? What's the, who? What's that song say about Christ? What's that song say about God? Well, it's really clear what it says, right? He's a way maker. Isn't that similar to what we're reading here? That's what Moses and the children of Israel just said. He's triumph glorious. He's, he's thrown our enemies away, right? He's defeated our enemies. He's my strength and my song, my light in the darkness, my God, right? It says that he is my God in verse two of Exodus 15. Wow, how similar those things are. So what's my point here? My issue isn't with modernity. Even though I have my own preference, I like certain songs that sound a certain way. But the most important aspect is, is it biblical? Does it exalt God? Does it exalt Christ? Does it put Christ in his proper place? Does it talk about how I will worship him? Okay. All right. Let me go to another one. I went to uh, um, another site and I wanted to look up the num the number one on the radio, the number one song that's on the radio, um, it's called Won't He Do It. 
okay, by this lady, Corin Hawthorne. And here are the lyrics. Ain't nobody stopping my shine. Then try to break me and try to take me out. But I got Jesus on my side. Felt so bad I thought I would die. But ain't no power stronger than the one that came and laid down his life. And I got mountains to climb, but the enemy can't stop me because there's a calling on my life. So when I'm crying, don't last too long because he's going to step in and make it all right. Won't he do it? He said he would fight for your fight your battles for you. All right. That's a fancy word in the Hebrew that says the Lord our God is our banner. It says they're going to wonder how you sleep at night. Won't he do it? Yes, he will. Anybody telling you something different, you know, that's a lie. You're going to look back and be so amazed how it turned out. It's only his grace. Won't he do it? He said he would. And so it goes on. Um, But the point here is even in this song, clearly there are uh, mentionings of of what Jesus did when he laid down his life, of how Jesus comes there, how he how he protects us, how there were times when we thought that we weren't going to make it. But Christ is there. Don't let anybody change your understanding of who God is and what God has done. So what's my point here is when we listen to music before we get emotional, before we start thinking about other things, we need to think about, is it biblical? And what's that mean? Does it exalt Christ? Does it honor Christ? Let me tell you another rubric that I kind of have. And this might not work for everybody in every demographic, but a rubric that I've had is if I can't sing it for a funeral, then Like, that's just the that's just the way that I think there's a certain kind of sacredness that attached. And and, and I don't know what tradition you guys are from, but in my tradition, we sing everything. We sing from fast songs uh, to slow songs during funerals. We sing songs of encouragement. Um, But the point is, the the focus of that has to be about if it's going to bring any kind of comfort to the family. It's got to be about God. It's got to be about Jesus. It's got to be about who he is. It's got to be exalting of God in Christ. And if it's those two things, it's going to be in the, it's going to, you know, it's fine to sing it. And so that has been a practical way for me to apply that biblical principle. So I hope that helps for, for us to be able to see that. All right. So that's Exodus 15 with Moses. Now let's go to Revelation chapter 15. Because I think I think that people find this interesting. Now remember, that's the first instance. Now let's go, let's go to the last instance. Revelation chapter 15, right? This is when we win for real. <laughs> right? And this is this is when when uh God is shutting everything down. Verse number three, this is what it says. It says, And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty, just and true are thy ways, thou king of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. Okay, so there's one. There's another one. Uh, let me let me see if I can get to it. I believe it's in Revelation 5. That is uh, when, when Jesus is standing, uh, you know, before um, before heaven, and he's and he's he's clothed as a bloody lamb. And verse number, yep, here it is. Verse number eight of Revelation five. It says, "And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vows full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and open the seals thereof.'" Uh, side note here, C.C. Winans has a beautiful song that actually actually chronicles this. It, her album called Throne Room is one of my favorite albums. I have it saved on my phone. Uh, I love that album because she literally just sings the words. She sings these words. Thou art worthy to take the book and open the seals thereof. I mean, beautiful melody. She, I love that. And I love listening to that and reflecting on it. But she's literally just singing the scriptures. It says, for thou was slain and has redeemed us to God by thy blood. That's the name of the song, by thy blood. It's one of the names. Um, she says, out of every kindred, at, at tongue, people, and nation. So what's the point here? The point here is we see what the scripture shows us of what songs are going to look, what the first song looked like. 
and what songs look like when you're in heaven in the presence of the Almighty. So let's let's talk about this. Why would I do anything different than that? Clearly, this is what God is pleased with. Clearly, this is what's going to be like in heaven. So it's unfortunate that sometimes we bicker over things that really don't matter. Uh, we have a generational divide because uh, the young uh, more often than not want to just get rid of any kind of older type of song, any kind of uh, hymns, you know, a lot of older people, I mean, younger people just, they don't want them. And I don't understand that because if you don't want, if you don't like hymns, then you don't like Christ. I mean, I'm being honest now. I'm not, I'm not talking about if that's not your preference. I said, if you don't like the hymns, there's, there's a big difference in that. I know people who just don't like hymns. Oh, I don't sing that. Oh, I don't No, We don't do that at my church. And I'm saying, what's the problem? Like, as a believer, how can you say that you love God and you don't love what those hymns are saying? I mean, and and frankly, I would challenge any anyone to put up uh, a genre of Christian music that has the theological uh, depth that hymns do. I don't believe they're matched by anything. And don't get me wrong, at the church that I'm at, we don't do that. I mean, we do hymns, but we we do other things. We do um, you know, other songs, but my point is we, (laughs) we're doing hymns, but there's, if you, if you don't like hymns, you need to, you need to evaluate your, what, what, what it is that you don't like. Are you saying you don't like the word? Because here's my thing. I don't mind singing anything that, well, let me, let me rephrase that. I don't, I don't, there's pretty much, it's very difficult for me to get to a point where I just don't want to do a song. It's got to sound just like the world. But for the most part, um, a song that honors God, that honors Christ, you're not going to see me fight it. I have my own choice, my own preference, um, but you're not going to see me fight it. Now, people, let let me go ahead and talk about it because probably the elephant in the room, gospel rap and different things like that. I I feel like it's an oxymoron, right? I don't don't get the whole point. The, The whole point is that if you're taking on a name or something else, it's like it's like saying gospel R and B. It's like, well, well, then it's not gospel, right? Like we're adding something to it. So I, I do, I do, I don't really understand the logic um, behind that because most of the time it's not really about I want to honor God, I want to honor Christ in this, but there's another motive or narrative that's being talked about. Well, all these people got saved when I did this concert at this thing. And so that justifies the means of doing this way. I'm not looking at that. I'm saying, does it honor Christ? Does it honor? And and it, and where's that motive coming from? Because if it's coming from Colossians 3.16, sing with grace in your hearts unto the Lord, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's cool. I might not like it, but that's not to say, I'm not saying, hey, I'm going to go copy what the world does, slap Christ on it and resell it to the people so that I can get them in the, into the church. That's a whole nother conversation. We're not even talking about the same thing anymore. That's a marketing technique. <laughs> that's not even evangelism. That's that's a little that's marketing. That's what a lot of churches are doing now. I'm going to let me let me see if I can say that again. Uh, I'm going to take this genre and then I'm going to slap Jesus on it. So the only difference is Jesus. Right. I'm going to put Jesus on it. I'm not there's there's not the whole coming out thing doesn't really exist in music like it does in every other facet. Right. It's like, well, I used to smoke cigarettes, but now I smoke for Jesus. Well, you know, I used to do this and now I do it. But, you know, it's like, well, no, it doesn't really work that way. And I understand, like I said, that I have a preference of, of how I like for things to sound. But there's a there's a difference when I'm in something and I'm in it for the world. And then I come out of that because I repent. And then I use the gifts I have for the glory of God. That's not the same thing as saying I'm just going to repackage that. And the basis for that is because folks quote unquote, tell me they got saved. The basis is not Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly and let it teach and admonish and encourage one another and build up the body of Christ. You know, and I'm doing this with grace in my heart to the Lord. So I'm not saying that it's, it's, um, I'm not saying that it's black and white, but I'm saying the motives of these things will show. They, they'll show. All right. So uh, just to recap on what we talked about, how do how do we 
how do we define and discern music that honors God? Well, I believe one of the ways we do that is by being sober and diligent, right? And making sure that we're that we're paying attention because Satan wants to use music just like he wants to use any and everything else to corrupt our hearts and minds and to get us uh, outside of God's will to not allow us to be as fruitful as uh, Christ wants us to be. The other thing is we need to understand that the word of God does speak to this and that Colossians 3.16 will protect us. So when we listen to music, we need to ask the question, does this honor God? Does this honor Christ? Is this biblical? What does this say about Christ? What does this say about God? Is this song talking about me? Is this song talking about how good I'm going to have it? Or is this talking about Jesus? Is it honoring Jesus? Is it uplifting Jesus? How closely does it line up with the word of God? Right? Uh, here's another example. Lord, you are good and your mercy endureth forever. Right? That's They're just singing the scriptures. Singing the scriptures. How it's so so it's not an issue of I need to be different. No, you can no, the 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 word works. So how so when you're listening to songs, look at that. Is this lining up with what the word of God says? Is this lining up with what I see in Exodus 15 with how Moses uh and the children of Israel sung to you? Is this lining up with Revelation 5 and Revelation 15 when the people of God sing to you? Right? So so those are the things that we need to be thinking about. And all other arguments or conversations have to come underneath that. I don't mind having that discussion, but they have to come underneath that. And what I found is that oftentimes people have planted their flags, their theological uh, flags in a certain camp, and they're not going to budge. And they made up their mind that I feel like this works or I've, you don't know what I've seen or I've experienced or, you know, this and this and that with God. And so at that point, scripture becomes irrelevant for them. Scripture is never irrelevant, but it becomes irrelevant to them because it doesn't have authority over how they feel. Or this person had a testimony about what this kind of music did for them. And therefore, that justifies it in their eyes. Right. So we just need to be careful. We got to be careful. Like I said, this is a hot topic. The churches are, I mean, you know, splitting over it. And really, style doesn't need to be the main focus. But like I said, uh, towards the end, you know, when when our music, when our minds are filled with the word of God. Right. We're not going to want to be like the world. We're going to be different from the world. So so I, I need to add that in because, you know, I love God. You don't love God. What's wrong with you? Right. I need to add that in because I'm not going to try to do trap music and repackage it as Christian to be trendy. And that's what the Holy Ghost led me to do. That's what studying and being 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 in depth with the word of God led me to do. That's not it's not how it works. So I, I don't want to. That's what I'm saying. I don't want to talk about style, because if if this is right, if our motive and our hearts are right, that other stuff is going to work itself out. Now, we can get into a whole lot of trouble when you say, well, that style and this style is just wrong. But there's a difference between condemning a certain style or saying, for instance, because I'm a musician, I, I understand it in a little bit better. Like chord, all chord, you, there's only a certain amount of chords you can play. So all chord possessions, uh, progressions are not are not sinful. Right. But it's like, well, yeah, but I'm not going to play what such and such play down in the club in church. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to repackage it as gospel. I'm I'm going to repent from that and I'm going to allow the Lord to give me something else. And that's just how it works. Um, people who disagree with that, you know, I, I'd be hard pressed for them to, to present a biblical argument for that. They're, they're, the biblical argument is really, in my opinion, really crystal clear. Uh, you know, come out from among them, be ye separate, touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you unto myself, and I will be into them, you know, they will be my people, and I will be their God. I mean, Paul, when he's talking about being unequally yoked with unbelievers, you know, he's using this uh, Old Testament language uh, from Leviticus and Deuteronomy. He's using this Old Testament language and putting it right in the middle of the New Testament. 
Uh, and then he goes on and says in the very next word, this is Second uh, Corinthians 6 and then 2 Corinthians uh, 7, 1. He says, therefore, dearly beloved, having these precious promises, let us go forward. Per, uh, he says, let us move forward, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. So I don't I, I don't think there's a biblical argument that's even even there to suggest outside of what I want to do. Right. Um, that there is not distinction between the church and the world. And so it needs to be our job to make sure that we're honoring that. And I don't think, I think the problem is when the, when the mentality is how close can I get to the line without going over it? Well, then our hearts aren't in the right place. And that's in everything. That's not just in music. That's in everything. That's in courting. That's in every facet of life. If I'm saying how close can I get without going over? Well, then that's it's time for me to take a step back, repent and, and you know, recalibrate my relationship with the Lord, because that's that's what Satan wants us to do. He wants us to think like that. He wants us to say, what does it explicitly say in the Bible that I can't? You go, OK, well, you know, I'm not going to argue with you, but but clearly the Bible gives us a good understanding of what it looks like when we have a heart that that's for him. Right. We don't want to be like the world. We don't want to repackage the gospel and make it trendy. We we know the power of the gospel. We know what it looks like to have true change from the inside out. It's not. Oh, and let me say this. You know, people say this phrase religion uh, because they don't want to follow rules. I need to say that people people love to talk about religion but the reality is they don't want there to be any rules. And so they will use church hurt and religion as a cloak because they simply don't want there to be any rules to follow. And they're advocating lawlessness and they don't even know it. Uh, the Bible tells us don't remove the old landmarks, but they're like, oh, man, we don't need this, man. We don't need this. That's just religion, man. You talking religion. You ain't talking relationship. They're saying that I'm saying, no, I'm talking rules because that's safety. There's safety in that. But some people don't want that. And that's arrogance. That's arrogance. And and so we we as believers have to be discerning. We have to understand that. And when it comes to music, let me tell you, that thing is real. It's real. Like I said, God has given us all gifts. He's given us talents. And I in no way intend to stifle mine own or anyone else's. But there are airtight biblical arguments on this. And the problem is uh, people who don't want <laughs> who don't want there to be religion, quote unquote, are using that oftentimes just to say, I don't want there to be any kind of rules. I don't want there to be any kind of guidelines that I have to adhere myself to. Like I told you, when I first started talking in this episode, I have to check my bias at the door because there's certain things that I like. I do. There's certain things, there's certain things I like and they just, they don't please God. And so when it comes to this, especially when it comes to music, I've got to check my bias at the door. Right. And so it's not even necessarily about fitting within a certain traditional or demographic framework, but rather it's about doing what I'm doing to the glory and honor of God. And my desire to please God will not make me look like the world. That will never happen. My desire to perfect holiness, to grow in grace, won't make me synonymous with the world. Let me give you a testimony. One of my friends from college, uh, one of my friends from college, we had this conversation. Uh, I turned on the gospel radio uh, when we got in my car. And she was like, man, this music is is banging. Like, this is, what you know, what kind of rap song is this? And I was like, this is the Christian radio. Now she's an she was an unbeliever, but she said I couldn't tell the difference. That's what she told me. She's an unbeliever. We talked about God, talked about Christ, but she she looked at me and she was like, "This is crazy." She looked at me. Now she doesn't she she doesn't go to church. None of that. The parents don't do that. None of that. But she looked at me and she said, "Wow, that's crazy. That music on the radio sounds just like the music that I listen to in my car." And she was telling me it was crazy. And I just chuckled because I and I shook my head. I was like, how sad, because even though this person does not know Christ, they know enough to know that that's not what it should sound like when they turn on the Christian radio. 
Now, what more of a rebuke do we need than for a non-believer to look at <laughs> look at a believer listening to gospel music and say, that's crazy. That don't even sound like gospel. That sounds like what I listen to. That's not the fruit. That's not the product of the fruit of the spirit abiding in believers. We will never look like the world. We will never sound like the world. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. We are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. That's what God said. And he said this, if the salt lose its saltiness, then what good is it? It ain't no good. And for a lot of people, what's happening is in the name of losing religion, in the name of that, it's really just Satan working behind the scenes influencing people to say, we don't want no rules. We don't want no guidelines. You can't tell me what to do. Stop being judgmental. Don't throw no stones. And they're using that as a guide. And you got to be careful because remember what I told you, Satan is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so what we need to do is to stop and use this rubric. How do I define music that honors God? How do I define, how do I discern it? Right. And this is the scripture. Go to Colossians 3, 16. Right. Go to go to uh, Exodus 15. Go to Revelation 5 and 15. And just take a look at that. Use that as your rubric when you're listening to music. And I pray that 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 helps you because it certainly has helped me. It's helped me. And I don't ever want to be in a position like that again, where I'm talking to a believer and they think that the music that I'm being edified with is edifying to them. When they're jump, when they're banging with it in the car to me and they're like, man, this is dope. I'm like, that's a problem. It's a problem. Wait anyway, guys, I don't want to take up all your time, but that's pretty much all I have for this episode. Uh, I pray that it was a blessing. Look, please interact with me. Uh, my email is dporter1258 at gmail.com. Again, that's dporter1258 at gmail.com. Please shoot me an email. Talk to me about any questions or comments that you have or the next topic that you would like to talk about. Uh, so definitely, I appreciate you guys staying on with me. And uh, God bless every, every single one of you. And I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you.